Well, today is a special day um, for, and this actually this week is a special week, the beginning of the week. Uh, I'll take no shame in saying this. Today is my birthday, our anniversary, because we're crazy like that, and then later in the week is Stephen's birthday. So, in fact, uh, and then later in the month, Sadie's birthday. It's birthday season in the Grissom household. So, um, although family um, are key to who I am, Jesus Christ is my greatest treasure. So, as a birthday present to myself, uh, I decided to preach from Philippians 2. As, um, as Michael said, it's one of his favorite passages, it's one of my favorite passages. And so next week we will get back to, um, we'll get back to the Gospel of Matthew. But for today, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Stand with me, if you will, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's Holy Word. I'm actually reading from the CSB this morning. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we praise you as the creator and maker of heaven and earth. Father, I pray that you might teach us your ways, remind us that we are loved because we have been adopted in Christ, and if we are united to Christ, then we have been given a special gift, the gift of eternal life. So Father, teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that we will imitate Christ all of our days. Father, we recognize that we are sinners, so Lord, help us to repent, lead us to seek you, to pursue you, and Lord, your word says that you oppose the the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So Lord, we ask, Lord, that you might give us grace this morning to hear your word and to respond to your word with thanksgiving, with worship, with adoration of who you are. Lord, we praise you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see 
the beauty of the gospel, to see the beauty of humility so that we might walk according to the Spirit in all things. Lord, teach us your ways. It's in Jesus' wonderful name, the name that is to be exalted above every name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so listen carefully for the next minute and you'll get the whole sermon. That doesn't mean that you can sleep the rest of the time. But right off the bat, I want to give you the two points. First point, consider others, verses 1 through 4. Second point, conform to Christ. So there's only two points, so it may not be a traditional Baptist sermon, but that maybe that means that we get done earlier. So we are to consider others and we are to conform to Christ. The main point of the text, the main point of the sermon is that we are to imitate Jesus Christ in our thinking and in doing so, we will consider others. Now, when I say consider others, I'm saying we will love others. When I say consider others, I'm not saying consider others like you might consider a second piece of cake or you might consider taking out the trash. No, the consider that's referred to in verse 3 is not a passing thought towards others, but rather thinking of them warmly with love and respect. That is how we're to consider others because after all, they are family. They're closer to fa- closer than family. They are your spiritual family. They are your brother or sister in Christ. So we see here right off the bat, when we are united in Christ, we look upon others and ourselves based upon our identity in Christ. That's how we should look upon others. That's how we should look upon ourselves based upon our identity in Christ. So I want us to see four precious realities for those who are united to Christ in just a few moments. But first, let us look at the beauty of verse 1 again. The beauty of verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete. This is a beautiful verse, a verse that we should meditate upon, a verse that we should consider and and go back to on many occasions. In this verse, we find encouragement, we find strength, we find unity because we are found in Christ, because we know the triune God. Now, when some people read this verse, questions and doubts are raised as if Paul is pondering or wondering, are these things true? He's saying if, but that's not what Paul is getting at here. Paul is definitely assured, he definitely knows that these things are true, he's using a conditional sentence by using the word if. This is where grammar comes back for us. So Paul is using this conditional sentence if to spur the Philippians on so they will reflect on the reality of being united to Christ and if these qualities are evident in their own lives. For those who know Christ, we know that there's encouragement in Christ. We know that there is consolation and comfort from Christ's love. We know there is fellowship because of the Spirit's activity in our lives. And we know that we've received grace and mercy because of the deep, deep love of Jesus that's changed us. It's changed our identity. It's changed who we are. It's changed how we think. It changes how we act towards others. And so this is what Paul is basing what he's about to say. He's saying, because you are united to Christ. Because you're united to Christ, it affects who you are. It affects how you treat others. As believers who claim the name of Christ, I can, and I'm assuming you can, 
feel alone at times. We can feel alone. We can feel isolated. But Paul reminds us that we are together. Let's look at just a few verses in chapter 1 to show the importance of believing and living out the gospel as the body of Christ. There's so much in chapter 1 that I'd like for us to look at, but we're just going to look at a few verses. Pay careful attention as Paul's talking about how we are a body, how we are together. Look with me in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who started a good work, he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 7, he says, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. You are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So as Paul's in chains, as he's in prison, He's not thinking about himself. He's not having a woe is me moment. He is saying, look at what God has done through us, through the partnership of the gospel. This is what he's doing. Now look with me in one more verse, verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel is central to his writing. It's central to the relationship. It's central to the church. Then whether I come and see you or am absent... I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the sake of the gospel. So this is his argument that we are called together to believe the gospel together, to proclaim the good news of the gospel together. And later in chapter 1, he says that we are engaged in a battle together, that we are following Christ together, that we are pressing on together because God has brought us together. So because of who God is and what he has done, we rejoice and are filled with joy because God is at work in our lives. Do you realize that your joy is not based on the approval of your friends, the behavior of your kids, or your most recent report from the doctor? Joy comes from knowing God and rejoicing in His purposes for us. I heard recently, joy defined as the resolute rejoicing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's see how Christ shapes who we are in verse 2. In verse 2, we find these four precious realities for those who are united to Christ. Some of you might have been thinking, he talked about these four precious realities. Did he get to those? Okay, I'm getting to those. Here they are. These are the four precious realities for those who are united to Christ by faith that we think the same way, we show the same love, we're united by the same Spirit, and we have the same purpose. We think the same way, not about every little detail, obviously, because we go to different grocery stores, but we think about the same things in regards to the fundamentals of our faith, where we have the same love because our love is grounded in the love of the Father. We love others because we've been shown what true love is through Christ, and we're united by the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has opened our eyes to see, to believe, and embrace the gospel. And we have the same purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So these realities are precious, not just because Paul's joy is complete, but because God's plan 
His eternal plan is being accomplished in the people of God that He has redeemed. God redeems people, and those people proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You may have heard that Jesus will build His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is truth. God will not be defeated. His plans will be accomplished. This is why we say, praise God, amazing grace extended to us. As a result, there must be unity amongst Christ's people. There's a special unity that you'll see here in Philippians 2, you see in Ephesians 4, you see throughout the New Testament, amongst Christ's people. There's a special unity when you can walk into a church in Florida on vacation and be like, man, I've got something in common with these people. They're followers of Christ. So there's a special unity that exists amongst those who follow Christ. We're not united by our favorite football team. Thank goodness. We're not united by our political persuasions or our occupations. We're united because of Christ. Because of Christ, we are better together. The words better together were used as a campaign slogan for a no vote in the effort for Scotland to separate from the United Kingdom in 2014. In other words, they were saying Scotland and the United Kingdom were better together. So we, as the body of Christ, are far better together because our loyalties and the kingdom we seek far exceed anything rulers or governments of this age can offer us. So let's move on in the text. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. I've always focused on verses 5 through 11, but really Paul's main point here in this chapter is found in verses 3 and 4. In summary, this is how they can be paraphrased. Do nothing out of selfishness. Instead, show selflessness as you love others. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says, look out for the interests of others. Well, what's the implication there? Naturally, we look out for our own interests. I mean, from the moment I get up, I look out for me. We often look out for our own needs. And so here in verses 3 and 4, Paul is saying, look out for your brothers, your sisters in Christ. Serve them. The goal is not to put a scale in your mind and compare others as better than they are in this or that. The goal is what you count others to be. The goal is not to grade others based upon their skills or their talents. The focus must be on your heart in helping others and encouraging them, not based upon their worth, but based upon the love that you have been shown. This is why we read verse 5. This is instructive for all of us. Verse 5 is so important here. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. We must adopt Christ's attitude. This can be difficult, but this is why we are continually conforming to Christ. It takes reforming our thoughts, repenting of our actions, and rehearsing the gospel. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves questions like, will I take my thoughts captive so that I can look to the interests of so-and-so? Can I sacrifice my time in order to encourage my brother or sister in Christ? Or number three, am I able to spend an evening in order to listen to the burdens that my friend is carrying? These are questions that show that we're looking out to the interests of others. 
the text says to do nothing out of selfish ambition. But that is a tough, tough mission. As I said earlier, we look out for ourselves, we look out for me, myself, and I from the time we wake up. While our every inclination may not show selfish ambition, our nature is selfish and we are sinful to the core. This is why Paul does not seek to reform us from within. He doesn't say put in a CD and and listen to New Age meditations. No, he's not calling us to reform from within. He reminds us that you have been born again. He calls us back to who we are in Christ. We must not turn back to the old man, to the old woman. Selfish ambition, Paul says, and vain conceit are weapons in the hands of the enemy. They're weapons in the hands of the evil one. They will divide a church and they will divide our hearts. This is why we must continually address issues of the heart. Proverbs 4.23, I encourage you to commit it to memory. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. We know that from the morning, from the time we get up to the time we get go to bed at night, our behaviors flow from our heart. So as we look out to the interests of others, it requires humility. It requires a humility that is found in our Savior. Remember, our Savior did not come to be served, but He came, why? To serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is what we see again in verse 5, that we are to adopt the mindset of Jesus Christ. We're to adopt the same attitude of Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, you must know and follow Jesus Christ. A few days ago, just as Michael mentioned, we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. But we know that's not the end. Michael already alluded to a day is coming soon, in the next couple months, where we will celebrate Easter. We will celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And as I've said many times before, every day for the Christian is Resurrection Sunday. So, we must remember that the cradle leads to the cross. And that's exactly what Paul emphasizes in this section. He reminds us of who Jesus Christ is and how he died in our place. But we must remember who Jesus was and is before he was born in Bethlehem. You have Colossians 1 there. Colossians 1 reminds us who Jesus is, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we must remember who this one born in the manger was. The eternal son was with the father before he was born. He took on flesh. So yes, we know Jesus became man. He is fully man, but we also rejoice that he is fully God. The scriptures teach that in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. Yes, he is God, as we read in verse 6. But he did not take his title as something to be exploited. He did not abuse or misuse his power. He revealed his power to benefit others, even 
when it cost him his own life. Listen to this quote here by Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore says, When we were still orphans, Christ became a substitute orphan for us. Though he was a son, he took on the humiliation of a slave and the horror of death. This is what our Savior has done for us. So when we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see what true humility looks like. Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. There's been a lot written about what this means, that Jesus emptied himself. We won't get into all that this morning. But in short, the Greek here can mean he simply gave up status and privilege. He did not carry around an entitled chip on the shoulder. If anybody could have, it would have been him, the perfect son of God, the one who fulfilled the law in every way. But he didn't carry around a chip on the shoulder. He took on the role of son of man, servant to man, to men and women, so that they might be redeemed. He took on the likeness of humanity in coming to us as a man. We see here in this passage, His humanity is coupled with His humility. We witness our Savior's humility through His suffering, through His sacrifice. What does verse 8 say? It says, He humbles Himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. Who is He obedient to? He is obedient to His Heavenly Father. Remember, Isaiah Hebrews says this was the will of the Lord, that he might come to die. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In joyful obedience, he went to the cross and during the suffering there, and as I studied this past week, I forgot about this, the shame that went with it. Not only did he fully obey his father, not only did he die on the cross, a cruel, horrible death, but he went and embraced the shame that went with it. Jesus was perfect in every way, yet laid down his life in the most humble way. The cross was reserved for who? Murderers, thieves, rebels. Deuteronomy 21 and Galatians 3 teach us, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So while the cross shows us the curse for sin and rebellion, Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He voluntarily chose the path of humiliation. But in our passage, what do we see? Humiliation doesn't last forever. What comes after humiliation? Exaltation. Exaltation. Jesus Christ is exalted. Humility comes before honor. The Father would honor the Son. So we see great humility here. And according to Augustine, humility is exhibited primarily in Christ's death on the cross. Humility is Christ's remedy for the sickness of sin. And humility leads to the happy life. So I would say humility is pretty important. The humility of Jesus Christ paves the way for us to have life. 
in every aspect, an abundant life, in knowing God, in loving God, in loving others, in forgiving others, in being forgiven, in showing mercy, in being shown mercy, this all extends from humility. So the humility of Jesus Christ paves the way for us to have life. Jesus defines humility in putting our interests ahead of his own. Isn't this what Paul said? Put others' interests ahead of yourselves? Jesus shows us what that looks like. He shows us what being a true servant looks like. He suffers, he serves, he sacrifices on our behalf. So this is why we sing one of my favorite Getty songs. This, the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost, we stand forgiven at the cross. Let's look at the last three verses. In the last three verses of um, verses 9, 10, and 11, we see and savor that exaltation that I was talking about, the exaltation of the Savior, that He doesn't stay on the cross. No, He was buried and then... He was raised to life on the third day. He was ascended to the, to the heavens. He sits at the right hand of the Father. The name of Jesus far exceeds all other names. He is God. Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God, came so that we might have life. So we know at one point every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. As many of you know, I love sports, probably a little bit too much, and was watching an interview this past week with LeBron James. I'll go ahead and say this. He's not one of my favorite basketball players. But um, recently, LeBron James was asked about one of my favorite basketball players. He was asked about what it was like to meet Michael Jordan a long time ago when he was a 16-year-old boy. So I guess he met him in high school. This was LeBron James' response to meeting Michael Jordan for the first time. He said, it was godly. It was like meeting God for the first time. I couldn't believe that the reporters didn't say anything. Everybody just kind of sat there like, well, this is an interesting response. But I'm sorry, LeBron, but your high praise for MJ does not measure up to the one true God. We will know, LeBron will know, all athletes will know, everyone on this planet will know that there is one God. Jesus Christ's name will be exalted one day. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You must humble yourself or eventually you will be humbled. So two quick takeaways as we end. A PS, if you will. Pray for humility. I don't do this far enough. Pray for humility. And number two, serve humbly. Or Serve when you're arrogant. Sometimes when you're serving arrogant, God humbles you. <laughs> and the last, last verse as we close. Look at what, um, 
Look at what Paul says about Timothy in verses 19 through 21. It's like after he exalts Christ, he says, let me give you a perfect example of someone who's imitating Christ. uh, Philippians 2 verse 19, he says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your own interests. He's like, this is the guy who is living out what I'm telling you. He's caring about your own interests. He's serving. He's humbling himself. And in verse 21, he says, but everybody else seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So let us, as we approach 2019, pray for humility and serve humbly. Let's pray.